joy to bring you the second installment of our current vision series, Come, Follow Me. And we kicked things off last week with the first week, the first teaching in this series around what it means to actually follow Jesus. So it was a whole teaching around what it means to actually call ourselves disciples. And so if you missed last week's teaching, it really is foundational for all that we're doing over these coming weeks. Uh, So I encourage you to go back and have a listen on the podcast. You can find it on the website. Go back and have a listen. Um, And and we laid out last week that a disciple is actually someone who apprentices themselves to Jesus, quite literally adopting his lifestyle and his ways that we become increasingly like him, that we, we orient our lives around three main goals, the three main goals of be being with Jesus, becoming like him and doing what he does, or in the words that we use around here, presence, formation, and mission. And so today and next Sunday, we're going to be unpacking what do we mean when we say we want to be people who are marked and shaped by the presence of God. We want to be people who know the presence of God so well that we're so familiar with the presence of God that we pick up on it in any moment, in any instant, in any situation we find ourselves in. We go, oh, God is in this place. And we immediately are attuned to the presence of God and we know not only where it is, but we know how to host it well. Not just for our sake, but actually for the sake of others. So this morning, I've called uh, my message this morning, Presence Driven Church. Not to take shots at Rick Warren or anything like that, you know, I, I think there's a lot of good in the whole Purpose Driven Church stuff and all that, but actually, what does it mean for us to orient ourselves around being a place that consistently seeks out and seeks after the presence of God? Is that all right? So, Where does all this come from? Where does all this come from? I think one of the earliest glimpses in the biblical narrative, I I referred to this last Sunday, if you were with us, is actually all the way back in Exodus, all the way back where the people of God are actually first taking shape and being formed and understanding their identity. They've recently been rescued and redeemed out of Israel, and God's shown up in mighty ways to, uh, out of of Egypt, sorry, not Israel, to rescue and draw them out of Egypt, and they find themselves in the, wandering around the, the, the wilderness and they come to the feet of, um, you know, Mount, foot of Mount Sinai and God meets with Moses in unique ways and gives them the laws and, and all this stuff. And, and here's, here's this, 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 this powerful passage in Exodus chapter 33 where, where God says, the Lord replied to, this is, um, to Moses, he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Well, if you are familiar with the story of you know, the Old Testament and whatnot, there was a lot of things that actually began to mark out and distinguish God's people. They had all kinds of dietary rules and regulations. They had how they would spend their time. They had rhythms of Sabbath and rest. And, you know, they they had had like dress and, you know, all kinds of things that would distinguish, uh, you know, them from others. And, 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 And yet Moses realizes those aren't enough. Those aren't enough. They're not gonna suffice, actually. The thing that needs to set us apart and distinguish us from all other people, all other people groups is the presence of God. 
unless your presence goes with us? How will people know that you are pleased with us? How will people know that actually we are marked and defined and shaped by you unless your presence goes with us? And I think the same is true today, church. We'll go there more and more that this is actually true. So you play out the rest of that story and, and, and basically, um, and, you know, God leads his people with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and leads, you know, his, his presence is marked in these u- u- really unique and powerful ways. They establish the tabernacle and, they, and, and in the building of the tabernacle, one of the core things, if you read on it through Exodus uh, 35 and 36 and then, and then Exodus 37 gives the details around the Ark of the Covenant, this special ark that was made, like, like think of, a, think of a, a box basically that was overlaid in gold and was beautifully designed, was the, like, absolutely, like, the focal point of the life of worship, and because it symbolized the presence of God in the midst of His people. And so they placed this in the most treasured, most holy place in the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant was huge, and it remained the focal point of God's people and His presence as they journeyed then throughout the wilderness as they crossed the Jordan and into the promised land with Joshua and Caleb, as they, uh, through the whole era of the judges, the Ark of the Covenant, again and again and again, shows up and is central, even though they didn't all get it right, until, up until the time of the kings, when basically the people of God cry out and they say, give us a king, give us a king, and so Samuel anoints Saul, and, uh, and, and, and Samuel the prophet anoints Saul, and then, and then around about this same time, the Philistines attack Israel and they capture the Ark of the Covenant and they take it off and they take it back to their own towns and back into their own land and their, and their own villages and, and it's, it's, it's actually quite a humorous little, um, little, little set of events that, that play out. If you want to go read the story, you can go read it. Um, I think it's like... Um, Early, early chapters of 1 Samuel 6, but basically they, they carry it off back to their hometowns and, and, and in various different towns over a period of about seven months, basically all kinds of bad stuff starts breaking out in the different towns. Like the first place they go, they put it in their temple alongside their god Dagon, and it was basically this statue and idol who when they wake up the next morning, they find, oh, Dagon's lying face down before the Ark of the Covenant. No one moved him. And so they reinstate it, put him back up, and then, you know, the next overnight, the, you know, and then the next morning they come in and they realize, oh, he's laying face down again before the, only this time his arms and legs are broken off as well. You know, and like all this crazy stuff. So they go, oh, this God is too big. Yeah, you know, like our God Dagon can't handle being in his presence. So we're going to have to move him on. So they move him on to another town, and then the people in that town start breaking out in like all kinds of like skin disease and, and, and weird things like this. And they're like, oh, we can't handle to have the presence of God in our midst. We need to move it on. So they move it on to another town and those people are like, no, 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 don't bring it here. Uh, And so after seven months, the Philistines are crying out saying, get this thing out of here. We can't handle the presence of Yahweh in our midst. Send it back to the Israelites. And so they do. They send it back to the people of God. This is right around the time that actually Samuel anoints Saul and Saul becomes king over Israel. All right? And so 
Saul becomes king over Israel, and uh, God sent, you know, and, and there's a little bit of, uh, if, you, if you're familiar with the story, there's a little bit of argy-bargy that goes on back and forth, because Saul doesn't always live in a way that honors God and, and, and exalts him and whatnot, and so a bit of argy-bargy between him and David, and, and actually David then gets anointed king before Saul's done, and you know, there's all that kind of stuff, and so Saul's actually pursuing David and trying to take out David, and, 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 and this, is, this, this goes on, and so in the end, Saul dies, and David assumes the throne, and right at the beginning of David's reign, right as David is, you know, gets power and ascends to the throne, there's this incredible verse in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse, verse 3. It says, let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. So this is the first thing David does when he ascends to the throne. He's like, we've got to get the presence of God back into the midst of his people, back into the center of our life and our worship as the people of God. It's the thing that marks and defines us after all, right? And, and so he's like, we've got to get the presence back. And, and this, you can see this cry almost rising up within David if you read the story. Now, that's very different than Saul. Contrast that with King Saul, who was king you know, before David for a long time. Saul knew that the ark had been returned by the Philistines. Saul knew that the ark had been given back, had come back to Israel, but he did nothing about it. If you read about it, he actually left it in Kiriath-Jerim is the name of the place, which is basically on the fringes, on the very edge of his kingdom. He left it out on the fringe, out on the, on the edges for 20 years is what the text says. For 20 years, the defining, marking thing of the people of God. He's like, well, we're not going to bring it back into the center. We're going to leave it on the fringe. We're going to leave it out there. We're not going to inquire of it, is what the, the text says. Can you imagine this? And I think in this, and uh, there's this prophetic call, I think, going out to the church, and I see people answering it, pastors and leaders and churches that are answering it all around the world at the moment. There's this prophetic call going out to the church that's basically saying, we've seen what's possible under the reign of King Saul. We've seen church done with all great ministry models and methods and all those things that are, that are human. You know, we've seen what church can look like without the presence of God. And there's this cry rising up, I think, amongst leaders and churches today that are saying, no, we gotta get the presence of God back into the center of the church, back into the center of who we are as the people of God. It is the defining mark, you know? I think over and over and over again, we've, we've, we've never lived in an era where the opportunity has been greater and has been better. You know, we've got, we've got technology today that 50 years ago the, the church never even dreamed of, right? We've got all this, you know, and, and we've seen like the rise and the fall of the mega church and the rise and the fall of this and that and all these different things over the last 50 years. And I think over and over and over again, what we're seeing now is there's the church is rising up and they're saying, we got to go get the presence. It is the thing the thing that marks and defines and shapes us completely. We've got to get the presence of God back. See, there's this massive difference between the life and the, you know, leadership and, and, and the life of the people of God under the leadership of King Saul 
and then under King David. Now, David was by no means perfect. We all know, <laughs> you know his, his, his life story, or you can go read about that as well. He didn't get things right, but this he did. And his heart, I think, was right. His heart was, in, in, in the first place, his heart was always good. Saul, it was more about you know, methods and models, and he led with warriors, and he followed more human approaches, and it was about getting the right strategies, and you know, all this kind of stuff, whereas David was like, no, let's seek the presence of the Lord first, first thing, right? First thing, when he gets the power, first thing, let's go for it. You know, I think we've seen what is possible with human power, with human ingenuity, with human, you know, we've seen what's possible in terms of, especially in the last 30 or 50 years, we've seen, you know, incredible things, you know, and, and, and what's possible with human methods and human, you know, radio and TV and technology. And, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing, I don't, there's nothing, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those things. I'm not, don't hear me say that, because that's not what I'm saying. I think there's incredible things that, 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 that's, that's happened because of a lot of that. What I'm saying is it's all about the emphasis. It's all about the focus. If the focus is on those strategies, if the focus is on these models, if the focus is on we're gonna do these methods and whatnot because that's gonna help our church to grow, then that's, that's not the right thing. Whereas David, the focus is on, no, no, the focus is on the presence of God. That's where we fix our attention. That's where, we, that's where we work hard. That's what we pursue hard. That's what we orient our lives and our churches around. That's what we go after. You know, I know so many big churches who, all over the world who are actually focused on the presence of God. Praise the Lord. I also know a bunch of small churches that are actually more focused on human methods and models of growth and whatnot than they are the presence of God. So I'm not making a, a, a dig at big church or small church. I love all church, you know. Um, so at all, you know, it's it's it's. It's, it's about these other things. We've also seen churches that are in decline over the last 30 years. This has been the major narrative in the Western world that the church is radically in decline as people who grew up in church are leaving in droves, right? Is this, is this news to anyone? Hopefully not. You, you know, like lots of people are talking about this all over the place. And as people start to scatter, I think leaders who, like Saul, are, are, you know, focus more on human methods and models and, and, and things like this are actually more likely to adapt those methods and models and adapt those things to appease people and to try and please people and try and keep people in and so, so they don't run and they don't scatter and they say, no, 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 it's okay, we'll just lower our, our moral and ethical standards so that you, you know, we're not offensive to you. We'll just, we'll just lower our, you know, whatever it might be and, and, and all these different things. We compromise and we drop the standards and, 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 and even like I talked about last week, our very understanding of what it means to be a Christian rather than a disciple of Jesus. The gospel that's been preached for so long has been lowered to like some minimum entry requirement where if you just say sorry to Jesus in your heart, that's enough to get into heaven. It's not enough to follow Jesus wholeheartedly with a wholehearted devotion, you know what I mean? We've just lowered over and over and over again in all these different things. And I think it's a, it's, it's a legacy that's played out under like a, a, a leadership model or, or an understanding that's more driven by human methods and human models, like, like King Saul, rather than a group of people who say, no, 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 like King David, let's go get the presence of God. Let's go get the presence of God and let's bring it back into the center of God's people. Getting a little bit off track here. See where we're up to in my notes. Are you with me? Is this all right? 
And these days, I honestly, I get encouraged and excited because more and more um, in, you know, one of the, one of the gifts with, with the other hat that I wear as, as the leader of um, Laidlaw's Center for Church Leadership is I get to interact and talk with pastors and leaders all around the country. And more and more, I'm seeing leaders and churches who are hungering after the presence of God. And that encourages me. That genuinely does my heart good. And friends, we're among them. We're among them. This is who we are. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged and I'm excited about this, that, that more and more we're seeing people who are less worried about having the perfect methods and the perfect models and doing things just right and you know, all, getting all the bells and whistles and all, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. I think one of the things that actually the Asbury outpouring, we've talked about this a few times over the last year. It was a year ago. They just celebrated one year since the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Asbury University um, over in Kentucky. A marvelous move of God that was wonderful and powerful. And, and I think what that showed us, if nothing else, is that God's not into all the bells and whistles and, you know, the best human models. Because everyone who went there, I didn't get to go in person, but everyone who I've talked to and, and, and who did get to go there said, it was really average, Clint. It was borderline bad. Like, there was, you know, like they didn't even have the words up on the screen, you know? Like, you know, they were just singing the songs that people knew. And, and, and you know, it was like basically a one guitar and like two people singing. Like, I tuned into the live stream once or twice and I'm like... They're not wrong. They're not overstating it. It's pretty, it's pretty average in terms of like production quality and getting things just right. And any, but it was a genuine move of God. The presence of God was real and it was known and it had a ripple effect way beyond Hughes Auditorium, way beyond the chapel. And I, and I think that actually as I talk with young leaders around the country and as I talk, you know, more and more I'm hearing none of them are all that interested in building some platform and being some, the next celebrity pastor or whatnot at all. They're, they're not interested in that at all. And in fact, I think that's just right. I think this is what God is doing in and through His church at the moment. He's drawing his church back to himself. He's drawing his church back to his ways. And I think this is what we're seeing all over the place. And, and, and the thing I love about it is, this is actually the thing our world needs most, if we're honest. The world, they, they don't need you know, the best means and methods and the best strategies and the best technology and the best all of this. You know, the church is never gonna be able to compete with the world. We're not designed to. We're designed to be distinguished by the presence of God. That's right, all the way back. That's what we're designed to be. That's who we're created to be. That's the thing. And, and so I'm not interested in any of that. No, what our world needs most is an encounter with the transcendent and living power of God, where heaven touches earth where people come into a gathering and they just fall out under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, where sin is revealed and people don't go into some big guilt cycle and shame cycle that they can't get out of. No, 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 they confess their sins and they receive forgiveness and freedom because that's the way the Holy Spirit works. Where people come in and they experience healing from things that have just plagued them forever. Where people, where people experience, you know, this is the transcendent power of God, right? When heaven touches earth in, in, in real powerful ways, stuff shifts and is forever changed. And I think more than anything, this is what our world needs most right now. This is why I say, church, we're, we're pursuing becoming a presence-driven church. May the thing that people say of the well is, God is in the midst. God is in their midst. 
May that be the thing they say. And, and, and may people, may, you know, like, it's not, not about us, not about any programs we do or any, you know, any, none of that. I don't care about any of that. I just want people to know you can meet God here among us, not in a program, not necessarily in a gathering, but among us because we are people who are so familiar with and we know the presence of God and we know how to host His presence and we know how to say, you are welcome here. Come, Holy Spirit, over and over and over again. And I believe this is more than anything what the world needs most. You know, as uh, you know, I've been, over the last, um, since my sabbatical, you know, it's coming up two years now, been reading more and more and studying more and more into revival history around the world. And over and over and over again, what we see playing out, there's all kinds of different principles and lessons you can learn about revival history. And one of the things that is, is really true, and you know, Mark Sayers over in Melbourne, Australia, is one of the best ones to talk about this. He says, actually, when there's revival in the church, it usually leads to renewal in the streets. And over and over and over again, you read through revival history, when the Holy Spirit comes, when God starts showing up and His presence is made known within the church in powerful ways, people on the street start coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, start confessing sins, you know, and people start like, you know, people, people start experiencing healing and receiving revelation and God starts, you know, Jesus starts showing up in dreams and people have visions that they can't explain and their words are, are shared and, you know, like heaven breaking in, the kingdom, the thing that we pray for every week when we pray the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That that becomes a reality and that we live with that, um, not just like that's a wishful thinking kind of a thing, but we actually live with genuine resurrection hope and expectation that that's possible because of the God who we pray to. You know what I mean? Anyways. If I'm honest, uh, this has been a, 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 a convicting message for me personally, um, because my heart, you can probably tell a little bit, but my heart actually burns for this. Um, I, long, I long for this, deeply. And as your pastor, I gotta confess, there's been years in the life of our church at the well when I've been more caught up in methods and models, King Saul's way, than I have in King David's way. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But not anymore. God's doing something inside of me. And um, I think he's doing something inside of our church. Because I see it. And I sense it. There's a hunger growing. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been reminded of, you know, my later teenage years when I was 17 and 18 and 19, you know, those days when I remember, I remember, you know, the opportunity was to go on, on New Year's Eve and have the big party with all the mates and all the things and have a good time. And, and instead, of the, instead of going to those parties, I chose to retreat, find a hill somewhere to be with Jesus and pray in the new year, seeking after his presence and con consecrating myself and committing the year ahead to be with Jesus and become like him and do what he would do if he was living in my shoes. And, and I, remember, I remember putting on worship albums and worship music and I would just, I would just like 
pray and pace and lie and, and like listen to an entire worship album, you know, back when they were CDs, um, you know, like, like loud in the headphones, you know, or loud on the stereo if no one was home, and I would listen to it all in one sitting, you know, and I would go the whole thing, and, 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 and I, I would just do this on the regular. That was before I knew there was a thing called soaking in God's presence, but I would just do that. Like, that's just how I lived and what I would do and, you know, any chance I would get. And I would, I remember prayer walking around our neighborhood with my pastor and saying, teach me about the Holy Spirit. Help me to know the Holy Spirit. Help me to know His voice. Help me to know the, the ways that He leads and guides and prompts and nudges and, 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 and help me to, help me to you know, and, and, and help me to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit and to welcome the Holy Spirit. I remember the first time someone gave me, our youth pastors actually, Ken and Leanne uh, Baker, gave me the opportunity to speak at a combined youth rally in our, our district of churches in South Queensland. And um, silly idea, probably an absolutely rubbish message, I can guarantee it. But man, I can remember I was just burning with this like fiery passion. And I think God's renewing some of that and restoring some of that. I think that's what he's doing inside of me at the moment. And some of you are maybe going, yeah, 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 but that's just kind of the way it goes when you're a youth and you're a young person, you know, and that's just for those years. And, and as you mature and you live with Jesus a little bit longer, then, you know, he kind of reshapes things and you lose some of that, you know, fiery young passion. And, and I go, no, no, no. That's justifying and that's rationalizing, at least for me. Because actually the people who, and I had a mentor once who said, don't take advice from people you don't want their life of. The people who I'm most inspired by, whose lives I want to model and pattern myself after, they continue to burn with a fiery passion for the Lord and for His ways and for His kingdom coming all the way through to their 90s and beyond, to their deathbed. It's not defined by age. It's not some naive, youthy thing. This is just who we are as the people of God. And I think we need to shake off our apathy because it's time to seek the Lord as Hannah led us off in, in time of, of, of our, our worship, the call to worship this morning. Um, so what, is it, what does this actually mean? Well, I need to kind of like give some practicalities around this, you know, rather than just have this fiery rant for us. What does this actually mean? And here's, here's what I kind of jotted down. What does this mean? What does this look like for us? And, and, and if we are, here's what I wrote down in my notes. If we are moving from kingdoms without presence, like the days of Saul, if this is a move of God that's happening, and we're, we're part of it at the well, but I think it's happening bigger than just the well, you know? If we are moving from kingdoms without presence to the days of David, where David goes and gets the presence, then we must be careful to go after the presence in a way that honors the Lord's word and the Lord's ways. We must be careful to go after his presence in a way that honors his word and honors his ways. See, David's story is actually quite instructive for us at this point. This is where we get a little bit more practical, okay? So if you, I see a few people taking notes, bless you. Um, See, David's, David's story is quite, quite instructive. So David's like, we've got to get the presence of God back into the center of his people. And so they, they, what they do is they go, they go get it. They go back into, you know, Kerith-Jerim, and, and they load it onto a cart, and they start bringing it along, and it's being led back by soldiers, being led back by warriors. And, a couple, and it's got ox, you know, oxen who are pulling the cart, and at one point, they stumble, and the ark starts to fall, and one of the warriors who's walking alongside the cart reaches out to help prevent the ark from hitting the ground. You'd think this is a noble and good thing to do. But God says, nope, 
Uzzah drops dead on the spot. David, it says, is angry. Lord, I'm trying to honor you and put you first and put your presence back in the center of the people of God. You can understand it, right? And he's afraid. If you read the text, it says he's angry and he's afraid because he recognizes the holiness of the Lord. And so he's like, okay, we've got to stop things. They leave the ark there. And then it goes and says, says um, they leave it with a guy named Obed-Edom for a little while. David returns to Jerusalem and starts making preparations. He's like, okay, we have not been doing this the right way. We haven't done this the Lord's ways. And so let's rethink this. They go back and he starts preparing a place for the ark to dwell a place for the ark to, to, to be housed. He puts up a tent right there because David didn't get to build the temple. That was his son Solomon's job, right? So, so the, that wasn't in place yet. So he, he builds this tent where the ark will be placed when they get it there. And he says, instead of warriors bringing this in on some human means, a cart, a man-made cart, this needs to be carried by the people of God. And so he gathers the priests, the Levites, and says, prepare yourselves, consecrate yourselves, get ready for this, this is gonna be a big moment. And then they go back and they lift the priest, they lift the ark and they carry it on their shoulders. And this is how the presence of God continues to be carried forward through revival history. You see it over and over and over again. It is the presence of God is carried forward on the, on, on the people of God, on the people that he appoints and that he anoints to carry it forward and he brings this through and it says that as they bring it all the way back they consecrate themselves it's carried by these priests not on carts and not by warriors they they stop and they make sacrifices and now some scholars say they stopped every six steps to make a sacrifice so if you chart that out actually the journey that they had to travel I think it was best part of 15 kilometers 15 kilometers, so some suggest it's actually something like 3,500 sacrifices were made to get the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, back into the center of his people as the focal point. That's hugely instructive for us, isn't it? And so I just kind of jotted like, like three things for us. Um, as, as we think about this kingdom paradigm. If we wanna reorient our lives around the presence of God, we gotta have a desire for the presence of God. We gotta hunger for it. And I see this, this is growing. I just wanna say, I just wanna like speak this over our church. We are a hungry people. We want the presence of God here in our midst. You know, not just in some nice, you know, kind of way where we go, yeah, God's all nice and kind and loving. No, 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 we want the powerful presence of God, His manifest, tangible presence in our midst. And that, that, yes, we want it on Sundays when we're all gathered together. Of course we do, you know? And, and yes, we wanna show up where we, where we actually say, Lord, come, let your presence fall, let it come in power, let it come in whatever you would have for us, bring it. But we also wanna see it in other places as well, not just in the large gatherings, but in the small gatherings. We wanna be people who know the presence of God. So even when you're out meeting someone, maybe you're having a cup of coffee after service or whatnot, and, and you're getting to know each other, and, you, and something, and as they're sharing, something just rises up inside of you, and you go, hang on a second, can I pray for you? And you start praying over them, and the next minute you know the power of God is at work, and God is there in that moment. You know, when you run into someone at the, at the cafe, or in the grocery store, or where at school pick up and drop off, or where, you know, wherever you find yourself, like, that, that be the kind of people we are. 
we know the presence of God. We're so familiar with it that we can stop and attune any second to that. And we desire it, we long for it because there's, there's another huge principle, you know, John Tyson is the one who kind of uh, framed this the principle of revival history is that God comes where he's wanted. And so we just say, God, we want you here. This is a hungering after the presence of God. And I see this growing strongly within our church and it, it brings joy to my heart and it spurs me on as the leader to say, I've got to hunger more and more for the presence of God in my life. I think the second thing is um, fear of the Lord and holiness. Let's not go about doing things in human ways and methods and models and you know, all that kind of stuff. May they be consecrated ways. May we go about things the Lord's ways. And the Lord's ways always call for consecration, which is full surrender, full submission. Lord, cleanse us of all sin. Make us holy, set apart, set apart so that we might be able to hold and host your presence. Because God not only comes where he's wanted, but he actually will only dwell where he can. And where he can, he drives out anything that is not of him. Lies, deceit, sin, you name it, it all, it all goes. That's just the way God works, right? And so I think a fear of the Lord and fear of, so, so it's not about self-promotion, it's not about any kind of ego, it's not about any kind of, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Actually, we've got to say, no, 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 Lord, we lay all that down. The call to follow Jesus, remember, we talked about this last week, is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. Deny yourself, that's the language of consecration, that we might be set apart clothed, putting on the righteousness of Christ that we might be increasingly like Him. And then the, f- the fourth one is, oh sorry, third one is that the presence comes by sacrifice and dependency. Comes by sacrifice and dependency and not in some kind of one-off way where, you know, you, know, you can, you can kind of say, okay, yeah, Lord, consecrate me, set apart me, you know, all that kind of thing in a moment, you know, on a Sunday like this and, and then you're good. No, 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 remember the journey of David and the crew? 3,500 sacrifices on the journey to get God. Like, this has got to be a pattern of regular, regular, consistent seeking after the Lord, consecrating ourselves, sacrificing to Him and for Him and honoring Him and over and over and over again. It's got to be a pattern that, that, that just cultivates that kind of life where, where we say, Lord, we want You here. Lord, we want, we, want, we want You to rid anything and everything from our lives and from our church that would, would inhibit your presence from coming, that would, that, would, that would cause you to not trust that you are welcome here, Lord. Remove those things. And that's gotta be a regular thing. Yes, there's amazing one-off moments that, you know, I've had a few of them in my life and I know many of you have as well and, and thank the Lord for those amazing glory portals kind of, you know, moments when God just drops in. But, um, but actually, it's the regular, consistent, over and over and over again. Presence comes through sacrifice and dependency. And so how are we going about that here? Well, Hannah mentioned one of the ways around here is we're going to start small, but we're going to be consistent. So, you know, we've started a couple of years ago, prayer week, establishing that at the beginning of the year, that we start the year by stopping, setting aside a week to seek the Lord in prayer. 
But we said, okay, now we're going to do monthly. Pray first. doesn't matter what day of the week it is. We're going to stop and we're going to pray 7 p.m., first day of whatever, you know, of, of, of the month, every month. And now we've added weekly, 7 a.m. on Tuesday mornings. We start, it's, it, hey, it's not usually a large group, is it, Hannah? You know, but it's consistent. Every week, we're going to seek the Lord in prayer and through worship because we want His presence here. And there's something powerful about coming together. There's something that fuels your own hunger when, you know, about coming together. Even this morning in our time with the worship team, I could sense, you know, this, this the, like it's, I was spurred on hearing other people sharing about their hunger, about what, you know, this morning and what, what they were believing God for and over and over again, you know, um, the Sunday worship, when we come, we come actually expectant for God to show up. You know how many people come to church and they're like, oh, it's great to be in church, but the thought of God actually showing up in our midst is like a, a, totally off the radar. We would never actually expect that we, He might show up in power and show Himself, Right? But actually, we come hungry and we go, oh, Lord, what are you going to do today? Where are you at today? Oh, Lord, how can I join it and bless where you're doing stuff? You know, let me, let me see where you're at work. And, 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 and that we actually see ourselves as a community of practice because we're starting small, but we're going to be consistent. So wherever we show up, we're, we're seeking after the presence of God. We're hungering after the presence of God. So, so in, in children's ministry and in, and in youth ministry, we want our kids and, our, and the next generation, right? We want, we want them to be shaped and defined by the presence of God, that they would be able to expect things when they pray and they seek the Lord, that they would expect to encounter His presence, that they would expect to know His love in personal ways, that He would meet them, that they would expect Him to empower their lives, that they would expect that He might bring their friends to know Jesus, that they would expect, you know, I, I hope and pray that this be true of the next generation coming through our church. I hope and pray that when we gather in life groups, we sit around and we see this is like a, a little experimental community of practice where we go, hey, as we pray, you know, actually, can I just, can I just share this? I have this, this, this thought and, and, you know, this may be of God, it may not be, but can I just share this thought as we're praying? This thought came to mind and maybe it's for you and, and next thing you know, it's exactly the right word that that person needed and God was just delivering it through you. That we, get, that we take those kind of experiments and then maybe someone, someone else you know, has a go and they get it wrong. And you go, that's all right. You know, we'll keep praying. We'll, keep, we'll, be a, we'll, be, we'll, we'll be a community of practice together because we're seeking after the presence of God. And it's okay to get it wrong. That's all right. David got it wrong over and over again in his life, but his heart was set on the Lord and he continued to seek the Lord. And I dream of a day when actually, you know, we don't just have one one hour prayer set on a Tuesday morning, but I dream of a day when we've got multiple prayer sets throughout the week, maybe multiple prayer sets every day around here because we're so hungry for the presence of God and He's doing stuff that is just unexplainable any other way. No human method or mode or means could ever describe it, but it's just God is in our midst and He is doing things and we say yes and amen and we bless it and, and, and I, I, I dream of a church where we are just as a group so familiar with the presence of God that we can, you know, we, we, we know it and we know how to host it and how to host people well in the presence of God. You know, not just for our own sake. Yes, I want that. Of course, I want that for me, but actually I want that for you. And I want that for our city and our region. I want that for our nation, that we'd be able to host the presence of God, that we'd be distinguished by the presence of God for the sake of others, that that's actually ringing from my heart as well as we think about all of this. And so next week, we're gonna continue talking about what does it mean to 
be marked by the presence of God, as people pursuing the presence of God. And we can talk a little bit more personally, in our own personal and individual lives, how we go about doing that. And Hannah is going to share the message with me next Sunday, um, so we'll, we'll go more there. But um, as, we, as we come to close, why don't, is it all right if I pray for us? Can we pray? Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited about what God's doing and, and just want to see more of it. So Lord, we do thank you for this time uh, this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are, we know you're always present and you're always working and that oftentimes we just don't see it or we're not attuned to it. And so Lord, I pray in the midst of all of this, um, Lord, that you would be doing the work inside of us, clearing away whatever hindrance or distraction or clutter is in our, in our lives, that we would be more attuned to your voice, more attuned to your presence where you are at work. And Lord, we say, would you come more fully, like Moses, show us your glory, Lord. Show us your power in our midst. Lord, may we not compromise on seeking after your presence because it's some, oh, it's just youthly passion and we dismiss it as that. No, God, I pray you stir up the hunger, stir up the passion, stir up the longing inside of us and may that longing for you, Jesus, have a, have a consecrating fire effect that just burns away anything, any other lesser hunger um, that is distracting us from you and your purpose and calling on our lives. I pray that over us as a church, Lord. Make us people who are shaped and defined by your presence more than anything else, Lord. We, we hunger for it. We long for it. We want to know you more fully. And so, Lord, we offer you ourselves. And maybe if you're comfortable and you sense the Spirit's doing something inside of you as He's been doing inside of me, and maybe you just want to open your hands before the Lord in a sign of surrender, a sign of consecration. And so we say, come, Holy Spirit. You see each one here. You see their hearts. You know all that's going on in their lives and all they're carrying in. Lord, consecrate your people. Consecrate our church. Lord, set us apart. May we become increasingly holy, clothed in your righteousness, Jesus, marked and defined by your presence. May we carry your presence well. Oh, Lord. And may we Would you grow that sense of conviction inside of us, that we'd be people of conviction, that we would be consistent, we'd be totally dependent upon you, we'd be consistent in our seeking of you. Thank you, Lord, for the ways you are with us now. You are speaking, you are moving. Thank you, Lord. We bless it, we bless it. in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.